This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And we're live. Another Forever Mighty post-game show talking about another Ducks overtime winner, this time over the Colorado Avalanche as they came into Anaheim. And they're fighting with the Ducks for a playoff spot. The Ducks securing the ever most important second point tonight, Eddie. This has been the game that was going back and forth that we're used to seeing from the Ducks period after period, shift after shift. This team is only consistently inconsistent, but they pull it off for a second straight game. I felt like they played a decent third period and then they got the overtime winner. They wrapped this up four to three. I mean, they, they picked a good time to have these exciting games and, and crazy comebacks. I mean, the the game against the Kings, figured it out in overtime, get a point, uh, two points out of that one, and then they pulled the same stunt against the Avalanche, and they're just making people panic. I mean, we, you know, I, I don't think we all thought this game was done because, yeah, they were down 3-1 to one at one point, but they, they looked like they could still get back into it because of the way they were playing. And then, of course, I mean, Henry gets the goal, and then I think it was just over a minute later, the, they, they scored the game tying goal and then they finally figured out overtime and, and cash again with a highlight real goal in OT to give the Ducks a win and a huge two points. I mean, it hasn't secured them a playoff spot by any means, but these were the games you had to win against these teams you're fighting for a spot with. And this game was almost more important than the game against the Kings. And to get two points was just massive. Well, as my friend Dave had texted me after the game, he said uh, the Ducks all know that Jonathan Bernier does not win in big games. Ouch, as us <laughs> Ducks fans will remember. Um, they ended up cleaning this game up, as we said, in overtime. The Ducks really needed this point. Their chances of making the playoffs are just inching closer and closer. they got to be in the 90-some-odd percents, as you and I had talked pregame. Going into this one, though, the scratches, Corbinian and Holzer, and then uh, your boy, Captain Canada, Chris Kelly, not in the lineup tonight. Antoine Vermette also scratched. Andy Walensky. And then Troy Terry scratched. And then uh, we got a little slight update about him. Apparently, he was nursing a minor injury, and that's why he was held with, uh, without being able to be played against the Kings. I call BS on that. That's uh, Randy Carlisle trying to not make the fans angry by saying he just benched a guy. Um, that's just my opinion. I mean, maybe he really is injured, but I uh, would be very surprised if you see him down the stretch. Um, Bernier versus Gibby, and uh, the Ducks had to get this one started off on the right foot because, well, they haven't been able to beat the Avs this season. Um, the Avs suffering a bit of injury bug right now, man. I mean, that's not a good time for them either. They got McKinnon yeah. coming in for the heart. Varlamov's injured. Eric Johnson's injured. Do you feel like that gave the Ducks the slight edge, or do you feel the Avs were just, just cooking on all cylinders right now the Ducks had to find a way to win? I think it gives them a slight edge anytime you have an important player of the lineup. I mean, the Ducks have, have seen that all season with the various injuries that they've had. And Varlamov was just starting to turn things around. Eric Johnson's a, a key piece of their blue line as well. I mean, other than, than Tyson Berry back, they don't know, have a lot of guys who can get things done on a consistent basis. So that's a big a big loss for them. 
But uh, they, they still look good. And, I mean, anytime McKinnon's in the lineup, especially Landis Cog and Ratnan too, that's a, that's a scary trio to go up against. And the Ducks did a good job for the most part of shutting them down. No, it's true. So let's get this one off on the right footing. Let's start the intro. I will not forget a third game in a row. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's not forget it this time. <laughs> Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scoops. Corey Perry. Lilia able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Around in front. We made it this time. We we got to the intro. I see you've bolded and uh, changed the font on the, with the, the intro to make sure we got to it this time. Well, I mean, you didn't have to throw me under the bus, but yes, our <laughs> notes that we share on Google Docs does show that I have increased the font size to 18, made it all red and bold. That way uh, I don't forget to talk about the intro after an exciting game like this. Fair enough. I give you the Captain Canada grief. The least you could do is give me a shot back. Um, Kicking off this first period, not the way the Ducks wanted to start it. We said they had to get started on the right foot to start this game, and the broadcast made a big deal of it, and it was noticeable. The linesmen played a role in the beginning of this game, Eddie. They uh, were able to toss three Ducks centermen after the first four uh, from four of the faceoffs in the first period, and one of them was crucial. There was a faceoff in the Ducks zone. Getzloff gets tossed out, and Raquel has to slot in. Raquel wins the faceoff, and it goes off of Perry and then directly into the net off the draw. All of a sudden, it's one nothing Avs. I think the Avs at that point had four shots on goal to the Ducks, zero. Not the way we expected this to go. Just a fluke goal, really, though, right? Just unfortunate. I mean, you know, Getzloff gets thrown out of the faceoff, like you said, a lot of controversy there with the refs. A lot of things going on. The broadcast really hit on that hard, which, I mean, we kind of expect at this point, right? So... Kerfoot gets credited with the goal. I don't even know if he actually touches the puck or not. Uh, ironically, it goes in off Perry's foot and into the net, and, and it's one nothing abs. No, that was tough. And like, if anyone didn't hear me, they were talking about the linesman throwing three centers out uh, for the Ducks out of four draws in the first period. Not the way the Ducks wanted to start. Um, they get off and are behind in this first period. But then the Ducks would get a power play. Getzloff with two good chances on Bernier, but he's able to stop them at the top of the crease. Much better power play, it seemed like, in this game, and a lot more movement, and they just seemed to be generating some offense we just couldn't finish. Yeah, yeah, it, they, they looked good throughout the majority of the game. They just weren't able, there was no finish, and they, they didn't really make Bernier work a ton. I mean, I think he finished with over 40 saves, or at least 40 shots against, and, you know, he didn't really have to work too hard. There was really any times where he had to make any difficult saves. The Ducks just weren't getting a ton of chances, and, and you could kind of see that on this power play, too. Great news for Anaheim, though. Silverberg would make no mistake. Gets an area pass in behind the defense to Cogs. I feel like if it wasn't Cogliano or Kasha, this was not going to go in. Cogliano, with all the speed, able to get in all alone there on, on Bernier. Fakes a five-hole shot on the break. Pulls wide, outweights Bernier to the last possible second. Cogs from almost the goal line buries it. We're 1-1. Crowd going crazy. This crowd was into it from the beginning because they were pissed off at the linesmen. And now they have something to cheer about Cogs finishing there. 
Yeah, and this is kind of reminiscent to the last goal he scored. I think it was against Calgary where he outweighted Mike Smith and was able to throw it over him. A little bit similar, obviously, on the breakaway this time, and he outweighed Spurnier and, and throws it in. And, and we had a question, I think, a couple shows ago talking about how, it, you know, is Cogsdano finally starting to turn the tide offensively and things are going right for him, and we were kind of on the fence. And again, he scores in this game. I mean, he, he's starting to contribute offensively. This line is turning things around and starting to look like more of a threat. I think uh, Cogdano, Kessler, and Silverberg, they're one of their better games was last game against the Kings, and they kind of continued that into this one. Absolutely. I mean, I don't want to jump too far ahead to our post game talking about possession rates, but they were in the 60s, five on five, 60%. So great overall game there for uh, Kessler, Cogs, and Silverberg. Um, just not much more you can say with that line. Maybe they're finally starting to get going. They all looked pretty good. Cogliano yeah. there with the goal. The play just gets more controlled here, and uh, it just felt like it wasn't so much back and forth. And then Lindholm takes a penalty, and you kind of think the story of the night for him. I think he kind of had a rough night overall uh, with that, that kind of play. He took a couple of penalties that maybe weren't necessary. Ducks don't have to pay for him, though, in the first period. Fourth line getting some good shifts. And then you got an interesting thing here that happens. Zadorov on the abs with a high hit to the head of Cogliano. Left his feet, pushed Cogliano into another abs player. I don't recall his name. No call on the play. How do you feel about that, considering what Cogs was, you know, dinged for earlier this year against the Kings? I know it's a different play, different scenario, but uh, do you feel like this was a missed call? I think so, and, and Zadorov kind of has a history of that, at least in the NHL, and I feel bad because I've watched a lot of him when he was in junior because he, he played in London, and I got to see a lot of his games with the Knights. He, he was always a physical guy, but he wasn't a guy that went over the edge, and, and ever since he's really been in the NHL, he's been a very physical defenseman. He's been a guy that kind of lives on the edge and often crosses that line. I feel like he was really close to getting to that point in this one because he does leave his feet. Luckily, he doesn't hit. Cogliano in the head because that could have been a pretty nasty hit uh as for like a missed call I think it's tough to call a guy leaving his feet uh when there obviously is no head contact you don't want it to come to that but I really don't know what they would have called I mean the puck was where Cogliano was uh you can't really call it interference maybe you call it roughing but uh, it would have been close I'd have to go back and rewatch that because I thought he caught his head maybe he caught high shoulder um he's a big man too so and Cogs pop back up, so that, that yeah. you know that doesn't help the cause if you're looking for a headshot hit. I mean, not that Cogs is one to dive, but I mean, I feel like a guy of that size going after the Ducks, one of the smallest players next to Kasha, really. Um, if he was hit in the head, you would have known about it. Yeah. But uh, the Ducks would still not be able to catch a break. Stick between the legs of Ryan Kessler. The refs call it a dive, and they call it a trip. I hate this call, uh, not yeah. just in this case, but in any case in the NHL. If it's a trip, it's a freaking trip. If it's a dive, it's a freaking dive. Just you call one or the other. The fact they call both, I just never makes any sense to me. After that play, though, Richie goes up and has some words with was Zadorov about the hit on Cogs. I'm sure. Plus, uh, Eric Stevens mentioned that Zadorov was the guy who concussed Nick Cordillis, uh in yeah. a rookie game before the beginning of uh, our 2016-2017 season. Maybe there's some there because you know I'm sure Cordillis and Richie played together. But uh, total blown call on the refs on that part, right? Total trip by Zadorov. Yeah, it was like that throughout the entire first period. I mean, it wasn't just, I guess, against the Ducks. It was kind of heavily going in that direction. But, you know, it started with the the three. I think it was Getzlaff twice, and then it might have been Kessler the other time, just getting thrown out of the faceoff dot. And then it kind of turned into this where, I, I mean, it, it, it does look like, a dive because of how he falls, but it's not because I mean you try skating with a stick between your legs, you're, you're going to fall. You, there's no way he could have gotten any momentum from that. 
I don't see it. I mean, it, it looks dramatic because of the way he fell, and maybe that's why they ended up calling uh, embellishment. But I, I hate it too. I, I mean, it's either a trip or it's either embellishment. It's it, you can't have both. I, I mean, it, you can make it. You can make a call look a little bit dramatic, but if he trips you, it, it shouldn't matter. Stick between the legs. I mean, yeah. not much you could do there. Yeah. But you know, they're human. They make mistakes. And then just a play that I felt was unnecessary, as much as I love Ron Kessler, I'm sure he didn't mean for it to happen. This would have huge implications on the Ducks in this game and possibly moving forward. There's a play coming in on Gibson. Puck gets deflected up into the netting. Play is going to be stopped. Kessler takes a shot at Landeskog as he's skating towards the direction of John Gibson's crease, You know, just running over Gibson in the process. I put dumb play by Kessler on this, really, because I felt like it was totally unnecessary. I get what he's doing. I understand that Landeskog didn't, you know, try to avoid Gibson either, but you can't shove your guy, shove a guy into your goaltender when the play is dead like that. Gibby appeared no worse for wear, but it would not be the case as he would not start in the second period. How do you feel about that play overall? Yeah, you know, there's an obvious push by Kessler, but Landeskog kind of makes the most of it and just he, you know, he he takes advantage of that push and goes right into John Gibson. I think it's on both guys, but. Landis Cog was at peak douchebaggery tonight. I mean, he was just <laughs> involved in everything. And he was, I mean, that, that's the type of player he is. And, the, I mean, you know, we have a lot of guys like that in the Ducks, so you, you can't be too biased. And, and, you know, Perry's that type of player essentially as well. So he's doing what he gets paid for. But, um, yeah, it, it's tough because there is that push. But Landis Cog makes real no effort to get out of the way. And then he also gets his, his stick right up close to the head and the neck of John Gibson and, and really gives him a good shot. So, I, I mean, hopefully it's not long-term because that that's, I don't know how, we have a question about that later anyway, but I don't know how the Ducks are going to make any considerable run without John Gibson between the pipes. Uh, I mean, if it becomes down to this play, you know, Kessler's going to look back on that and wish he didn't do that, and the Ducks are going to look back on that and saying, you know, Landis Cook should be getting, not a suspension, but at least some kind of uh, punishment for that. But it would go unpunished as we would move on here. Two big plays I felt like in the rest of this period. A diving poke check. I think a hell of a play by Fowler to back check. Pokes the puck be, uh, away from Nieto, who, which basically disrupted a breakaway on John Gibson to keep the game at a 1-1 tie. And then a dumb play by Hampus Lindholm. Had no business sticking his hip out there. Bumps an abs player without the puck with five flipping seconds to go. Ducks would be you know, looking at a penalty kill to start the second period. And not only did they not know, but Ryan Miller would be starting that second period cold, and he would have to face a fresh sheet of ice with a dangerous avalanche team on the power play to start the second period. Yeah, and not ideal for sure to have Ryan Miller come in this game. I mean, there's been, I think this is the fifth or sixth time that he's had to come in in the middle of the game, coming in cold and having to, to face a game that's very important. I mean, this is arguably more important the way the standings are right now than the game the other night against the Kings. Uh, a loss with the Ducks would have put them... They would have still been in a playoff spot, but it would have given the the Kings a, a chance to gain more of a foothold on them. It would have given the, the Blues a chance to move in front of them. So this is huge, and it's tough. You know, Miller's been called upon multiple times to do this, but to, to throw a guy in in a situation like that... It's unfortunate. Of course, he gives up the goal early, which, you know, you can't really blame it on him too much. No, it just it is what it is at this point. Getting started in the second period, the Avs would cash in on the power play. Jost swats home a rebound as McKinnon was able to go in uncontested into the high slot. Silverberg was out without a stick. 
All of a sudden, it's 2-1. Avs, make no mistake about it. McKinnon's been deadly all year, and he gets a hand on the goal on this one. He's just so dangerous every time he touches the puck. I mean, it's ridiculous. He's one of the shiftiest players in the National Hockey League, the way he's just able to escape coverage like that. I mean, he made something out of nothing. Uh, he was covered pretty good. I'm not sure. I can't remember who was covering, but he, he makes a move similar to what Raquel did on Drew Doughty the other night. Just creates some space, throws a puck on net, creates a rebound, and, and Yo spots it. And you know, that's what he's been doing for the, the Avs all season. If they make the playoffs, it's really, I mean, it's on his back. And we've talked about the Hart Trophy and all the discussion around him and McDavid and, you know, will they get it if they miss the playoffs or not. I think right now, you know, nobody's really done more for their team than Nathan McKinnon has at this point. I mean, he's given them all the chance in the world to get into the playoffs, and they've had different things happening here or there where they've kind of blown it, and they're sitting on the outside looking in. Not sure if you heard of Taylor Hall, but that's just my opinion. Well, (laughs) we're not going to get this discussion again. I mean, we did have a shorthanded breakaway goal to win the game for them tonight against the Habs. Just throwing that out there, too. But. Getzloff and Kasha's line, I mean, they would eventually play together in this game, but the Getz line creating pressure was able to get a backhand, no look over to Hampus Lindholm, who just missed. And then you get another great pressure there by the Kasha line. He's all over the ice creating chances tonight. It was just really, really great to see him all over the place again for the second straight game. But how about Getzloff? I mean, if he had the points, or the games actually earlier in the season, he might have the points to be contending for the Hart Trophy that we're talking about between Taylor Hall and Nathan McKinnon, right? I mean, we would be saying Getz for Hart and Gibby for Vesna, but I mean, obviously we don't see Getzloff in that conversation purely on a games played basis. Yeah, no, he would have to be. I mean, he's been unbelievable since coming back uh, for the Ducks this season. He would be in that discussion, and, and I think there'd be the same type of. Uh, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. the same type of hesitance to it as well that you have with McKinnon and Hall where you're not sure if they're going to make the playoffs. New Jersey actually looks like they're going to squeak in, so I, I, you know that, that helps Taylor Hall's case a bit. But, you know, Getzloff would be right in there. I, I think it would be tough because he has done so much. But, you know, you like you had mentioned already, like look at what Taylor Hall's done with New Jersey. Look at what McKinnon's done with the Avs. You know, he's right up there, but it, it's a tough decision. Now, how did you feel about the call on Ryan Kessler? The high stick. I watched the replay. I didn't see it. Bernier didn't budge. And usually if you touch a goalie in this league, they're backing up into their crease and falling and, and turtling because they're going to try to draw that call. Yeah. I didn't see the stick hit him at all. Did you Did you see any high stick whatsoever? Or are the Ducks just on the wrong end of a missed call here? I mean, I know it's tough to call these plays, but I didn't see any embellishment or anything from the abs call, uh, the abs players, rather. Yeah, no, I honestly didn't see anything. I mean, I think they showed on the broadcast, and and even uh, they didn't really have any footage of what had happened. They looked back and were trying to find where he high-sticked it, and, and nobody could really find it. I'm I'm sure there's probably something out there, but, yeah, it, it definitely is a missed call, unless there's something we're missing. But, I mean, who? Like, who did he high-stick? Unless they're calling on Jonathan Bernier, and he grazed him a bit, but... It's one of those calls, again, with the embellishment call on Ryan Kessler that's going against him. And, uh, you know, they, they obviously didn't hurt the Ducks too much this game, but I'm sure if they had a score a goal off this high-sticking penalty, we would have been hearing about it a lot more. Oh, no, absolutely. Ducks get away without suffering a goal on that penalty kill. But then you see another after-whistle battle here. Rantanen goes off for interference as he hacks the stick out of Brandon Montour's hands in front of Ryan Miller. And then Perry being Perry doesn't get away with being Perry. Punching Landeskog, a little rabbit punch out of nowhere. Landeskog punches right back. 
Getzloff comes in, apparently not noticing that Perry started the whole fracas. Both those guys go off for roughing, ranting it with the interference, called Ducks with the power play there. Kind of funny about Perry now. Yeah, yeah, but he's he's mixing it up with the guy who's paid to do the same job on the other side in Landeskog. And, you know, he was kind of getting away with a lot to this point in this game. So kudos to Perry for going over there and mixing it up with him. And, I mean, it works out, right? I mean, they end up getting a power play, so... Uh, it could have gone the other way, so you want to be wary about that in, in such a close game where the, the Avs are already up 2-1, to one, but uh, it gave them an advantage, at least at that point. That's true. Did you see the, the little head punch by Getzloff as the camera was going away from the broadcast? He kind of flipped Landis Cog's helmet back into his face. I don't know if you caught that in the <laughs> No, I didn't, but people, I think at one point too, Lindholm like, uh, kind of face-washed him and pushed his helmet off his head at a couple times. People, they were getting on him pretty much right after he knocked Gibson out of the game, so I'm not surprised that the captain was getting in there because, I mean, he usually does that. He doesn't care. He'll go after anybody. He went after Chara in the game against the Bruins, so he'll go after whoever. Uh, he, he's a, you know... He's a pretty tough guy. He can stand up to whoever he wants to get in a fight with. Right after this power play goes over, Ducks are able to get it going. It felt like the second power play unit had the more had the better of the chances rather than the first power play unit. And then Ryan Miller forced to make a big stop at Andrew Ghetto. And then shortly thereafter, the Avs with a three-on-one break. Fowler, in my opinion, overplayed the rush as Yost, other, I mean, who other than him this game, is getting the chance, is able to sneak in on the weak side as, as Fowler goes to the boards. And then, Jesus, dude, what a bar-down laser on Ryan Miller. No chance. Three-to-one avalanche. Yeah, you know, that that's what Yost has been doing all season, kind of quietly for, for the avalanche. He's not necessarily up in the front running with some of the rookies like Barzell, Besser, Kyle Connor, but, you know, he's quietly making a name for himself with the avalanche this year, a former 10th overall pick. So, you know, you look at what he's doing, you look at what Nick Ritchie's doing, you're a little bit envious, but, yeah, I mean, he's making the Ducks pay. It was a good game from him in this one, and, and there's no stopping that. I mean, it's a little bit of an overplay, like you said, from Fowler kind of pinches up a little bit too much in the rush and uh but it, it's all yost on that play i mean miller covers it pretty well and there's only one spot that he could have picked to to get the goal and, and he finds it it was just it was an unbelievable shot the, the ducks would kind of relent some shots there by the you know on, you know for the abs were getting their chances then Boge would come in with an absolute bomb off the pipe it hit a stick in front bernie would have never seen it anyway gets out of uh it gets out of trouble in that shot there. Boast just coming so close to making this a one-goal game. And then Kessler with a huge chance in the high slot. He missed high. And then we would get the typical end of the period, at least in this game. Lindholm took the penalty with five seconds to go in the first. Brandon Montours gets his stick parallel on McKinnon for all but like a second. And the hooking call goes with 30 seconds to go in the, in the second period. That would mean the Ducks would have to start a third period again with a minute and 27 seconds on the penalty kill. Yeah, and you're kind of worried that it was going to start off the same as uh, how the first period did going into the second where they got a goal right off the the early power play that they had. Uh, and I think that's what everybody was worried about because it's a, it's kind of a dumb penalty, and it was a little bit of a soft one too. Uh, I mean, anytime though you touch McKinnon when he's streaking in, yeah, you're going to get a penalty. Uh, you're, you're interfering with him. I, I agree with the hooking call. It was a little bit of a soft one, but it's such a dumb time to take a penalty. And, and I get it. It's tough. It's tough to keep up with the size and speed that McKinnon has, but uh, it's brutal. I mean, you, you pretty much eliminate any chance to come out of the gates hot in the third period because uh, you've got to kill a minute and a half of the, of the uh, power play. 
Ducks would end that, leading the game in shots 31-19 to after two, which is basically what most teams put up in a game. So the Ducks are just churning out the offense. But I felt like they weren't getting the grade-A chances throughout the first and second period, you know, despite a couple of, of decent plays by their offense, including the Cogs goal through the first 40. Is that the feeling you got, too? I just felt like they weren't getting the great looks that the Avs were getting in this game. Yeah, I mean, the shots were 31-19, to 19, but it didn't feel like it. Uh, I mean, they weren't... You know, there was a couple chances. I mean, Bosch off the off the pipe, that was a close one, but it wasn't necessarily a great chance. You know, he, he just had a good shot that ended up, to, I think it hit off McKinnon and hit the, the crossbar. But there wasn't a ton of chances where you thought that they looked that dangerous. They You know, the grade-A chances, like you said, it, it kind of hits the nail right on the head. They didn't really make Bernier work too hard. It was really an easy 31, uh, 31 shots or 30 save performance at that point. And the only key chance the Ducks had was the one that Cogliano converted. While starting this third period, the Ducks were able to kill off that minute and 27 seconds on the penalty kill, and then they would get a goal. A new-look third line with Perry slotting in on the third. Kasha moves to the top line with Getzloff and Raquel. Perry goes behind the net and just outweights everybody and then feeds it back on the other side of the net where Henrique, basically on the goal line, is able to put the puck in. All of a sudden, from a sharp angle, it's 3-2. to two. What a great pass from Perry. I mean, we, we all are critical of him, I think, a lot because of his goal scoring is down. But he's found a way to change his game and, and really just changed into a playmaker. And, you know, I, I don't want to attribute him to I, I hate comparing guys, especially guys who are currently playing uh, in the NHL. But he reminds me a bit of how Blake Wheeler's changed his game a bit how now he is kind of a playmaker, a guy you wouldn't expect normally, a power forward, a guy who is going to usually score about 20 to 30 goals. And he's changed his his play to fit his team. And I feel like Perry's done that a, a bit as well. And he's become more of a playmaker. He still has that goal-scoring ability. But it's just great patience to wait for Gerard to get his stick out of the passing lane and to find Henrique. And Henrique just finds like the smallest hole uh, over Bernier's shoulder. And it's such a key goal that early, too. They needed it. Perry getting his 30th assist on the season. So good on him to keep the points going up. It's what you expect out of a guy like that when he's not putting up the goals to be getting the assist, as you just said, all at Blake Wheeler, what he's doing. I know on a different level, but still, I agree with you there about Perry. I've been really, really critical of that guy this season. Yeah. And, you know, lately he's really become a better player just because maybe he's changed his game. Or maybe I'm just noticing he's changing his game. But anyway, great game from Perry. What a pass. And then less than two minutes later, Ryan Kessler, baby, would finally get on the board with his eighth of the season, Cogliano from the half wall, almost at the goal line, throws it on net, hits Bernier, goes straight to the high slot. Kessler makes no mistake, beating Bernier high on the blocker side. We got a tie game. The Ducks are rolling at this point. This line. I mean, this line is, is starting to turn things on. The offense is finally coming. That's two straight games where they've arguably been the best line for the Ducks. Uh, I mean, you can't ask for much more, and it's great for Kessler to get on the board as well. Cogliano had a strong game, was one of the better Ducks players, and just, uh, I, I mean, the, the momentum was finally coming. The scoring chances were finally getting on the board for the Ducks, and to get these two quick goals is just massive. I mean, you don't want to go into the final minutes down 3-2 to two and have to try and come back against this team. Colorado was doing a good job up until that point, too, and limiting the Ducks' chances in the offensive zone. They are using their speed. They were forechecking hard, and there wasn't a lot of holes. And, the, you know, Cogs, again, just kind of throwing it out, and it bounces right to Kessler, and, and he makes him pay. I mean, he's not missing this. That was a bomb from him. 
he absolutely needed that too. I felt like for his confidence, you know, he's been playing, yeah. you know, a great, great game lately. So to see him get one there is perfect. Ducks would continue to buzz around the Avs. There was a comment made by Brian Hayward. They, he said that there was such a dominant third period by Anaheim. There were no scoring chances for the Avs in the third period, and that he and he had mentioned that was seven twenty three to go in regulation. So that kind of tells you how the rest of this period would go for the Ducks. Three to three, end of regulation going to the nail-biting time, going to overtime. I felt like the Ducks just really turned on their game. This is the kind of you know regular season must-win we've been waiting to see. Felt the same way last last game against the Kings. Um, I felt like the Ducks held the Avs to less scoring opportunities, especially in the third period, than they did L.A. Uh, but how did you feel overall for the regulation play for the Ducks? Yeah, I, I think they turned it on. and There necessarily wasn't a time where they really weren't playing that great. I mean, they were down 3-1, to one, but I think we can all agree they, they weren't really necessarily playing bad. They just weren't capitalizing on some of the chances that they were getting. They weren't creating any high-danger chances up until the, the beginning of the third period. And then they really turned things on. And we saw that against the Kings as well. They you know This was a team early part in the, the middle part of the season where you would expect them to just get caved in in the third period, give up, try and hold on. And they they haven't done that lately. I mean, they they actually look like they can kick it into another gear, and they look like the ducks of old, the the comeback kids, the the guys who you know you never count out. They don't quit, and they get back into games. And it's exciting to see that this is the time of year you need the ducks to have dominant third periods when they're down or when the game's close, uh, and and it's the best time of year to get it done. Dude, you can't say that any better than you just did because they need yeah. to get it done. And these are the final three games coming up in the regular in the regular season. So there's a lot of work left to ensure and get that 100% clinched position at the playoffs. But getting to the overtime, unfortunate news to start. Not only were the Ducks out of uh, without John Gibson from the second period on, but we would be not seeing Cam Fowler to start the overtime. He took a hard hit in the corner. At the towards the end of the third period, went straight to the Ducks bench and then the locker room. Looked like his left shoulder went awkwardly into the boards. Hopefully nothing major. We have no further update on him. Yeah. But uh, getting started here in the overtime period, Getzloff with a hell of a move and a fake, but Bernier comes up big. There has not been very many games where we've been able to say, or we haven't been able to say Getzloff with a move and a big save on the other goalie, or he scores, or he makes a, an incredible pass to get a, get a scoring chance. Getzloff just doing it all over the ice again. Yeah, this is like a you copy and paste of these from the notes of the last game where he did the between the legs steak against the Kings and almost had a goal. Uh, and he makes another good move in this one. Probably not as nice, but still a hell of a move, like you said. Uh, and Bernie coming up big. Uh, it it would have just, I mean, imagine how much better it would be. I mean, it's great to get the two points, but if Getzloff had a cash in on both of those, and we could be talking about these like highlight reel goal of the season for Getzloff in back to back games. Uh, that would, that would be nuts, yeah. That, that would add I to the excitement. <laughs> I would have paid big money for the one against L.A. just because I don't like L.A. that much. And I would yeah. love to see Getzloff ended on that between-the-legs play. But the Ducks would still be able to finish this off with a 4-3 victory because Andre Kasha gets up on a two-on-one break with Josh Manson. Getzloff, of course, involves it as he has the bank pass up the half wall. Kasha, with a little move around the D just on the backside of the defenseman, is able to go up and over Bernier's blocker short side. He had to almost play like it was going to be a pass, but Kasha goes goal, top cheese. It's 4-3, game over, baby. Yeah, yeah you know Kasha loved seeing that it was Samuel Girard 
that he was going against on this play. You know, victimizes the young defenseman with a, a great move, and and then just goes upstairs. I I mean, Andre Cash has been doing it all season, and to get it done in overtime. The Ducks are making it exciting, that's for sure. I mean, it's nerve-wracking for all of us, but it's exciting hockey to get two overtime wins where they just struggled there all season, finally figuring things out. Because it's not like they looked bad in this overtime, too. I think they were the better team, other than a couple chances that McKinnon was able to create. The Ducks really controlled this OT, and they, they deserved the win. Uh, I don't know if you saw after the goal, too. Josh Manson absolutely destroys Miko Rotten into Jonathan into Bernier. Bernier. Yeah, just to add <laughs> just to add to the the fact that uh, Gerard just got undressed and Cash went upstairs. Rotten just gets absolutely leveled into Jonathan Bernier too. I'm sure the Ducks didn't mind doing that. Josh Manson is never a guy to shy away from making a hit or causing problems. So Ducks put a cap on that one. Four to three, the victory. Four points against two opponents they just really needed to beat in this playoff race. These past two games have two games left at home and then they're going to be looking at a game on the road next Saturday in Arizona this is playoff hockey right now for Anaheim if there's any time to get this thing moving and and feel like they need to get going and and cruising for the playoffs this is the time to do it what a past two games Eddie I'm just like I'm pumped I'm going to be at the next two games as well so hopefully these are just as exciting maybe a little more of a a blowout scenario on the Ducks side though maybe they don't have to give us a heart attack for overtime but uh, what a win nonetheless let's go ahead and get to our post game where do you want to start my friend we got a few things here yeah let's left out uh, let's start sorry I'm reading the notes at the same time let's let's start off with Terry being left out of the lineup I feel like that's something we kind of expected you know the Ducks had a, a strong game against the Kings and we kind of expected that Carlisle would just go with the same lineup which he obviously did I don't know. How do you feel? Because I would have loved to see him in the lineup. It's tough to criticize with back-to-back exciting wins in overtime, but I still feel like he would have added something to this team. Yeah, and why not give him a look? As we said the past couple of games, I mean, if you're going to burn the first year of his entry level, why not let him play those games? That's, I guess, the biggest issue in my mind, is if you're going to do that, you mean let him play the damn games. I know they said that he was injured, nursing an injury, and that's why he didn't play against L.A., did you see any other status updates from the Ducks or from Stevens, Eric Stevens, about uh, Troy Terry hit wise? He was left out, or is he just a healthy scratch? No, I all I like. I mean, Eric Stevens gets it out the next day too, which was great because we all thought he was just a healthy scratch against the Kings, and it was more of a leader good thing. And he's like, oh yeah, I forgot he was uh, he was nursing an injury for last game, which uh, I don't know where he got injured. Maybe it was a hit from Biega uh, in the Vancouver game. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen any updates. I, I feel like it's probably just a healthy scratch thing. Uh, maybe it's a small nagging injury, but I, I really don't know. I, I would like to see him down the stretch, but the, the points are just so important for the Ducks right now. And you know, I th- I think he honestly adds something to this team. But I feel like it's easy to go with the hot lineup right now and just play them for the rest of the season. There's only three games left. But it really, if we look back and Troy Terry played one game and burned a year off his ELC for that one game, I don't see the point. No, I agree. Then why not send him down to the AHL like we're talking about? Yeah. Uh, That's I don't what know. we said, right? Yeah, I mean, the chase says to just get him some pro hockey experience if you're not going to play him. Just send him down. You know, what's the, what's the point of having him up here to not play unless he actually is nursing a nagging injury? And uh, he'll be back for the next game, but 
we'll have to see. I mean, it all come it really all comes down to the the lineup that's going to be put out for that next game. If if they come out and say he's healthy and he's still a healthy scratch for that game, uh, I I don't see the point. I mean, you might as well send him down. Yeah, no, I agree with that, man. I mean, where would you have slotted him in though? Would you put him right in Richie's spot again and put Richie down on the fourth line? Yeah, it, it's tough because you look at how successful that line was last game against LA and into this game as well. You know, Richie's actually looked like a better player in those two games. I, I still think you'd probably put him on that line. I, I'd probably take Chimera out of the lineup, probably roll with Richie, Grant, and JT Brown. And then you just go with Terry, Henry, and Cash, and you keep the top two lines together. I, I feel like that's the ideal lineup for the Ducks. Nothing against Jason Chimera. I just, I, I just don't see the value that he get out over a guy like Troy Terry, especially... Uh, even playing Troy Terry only 12 minutes a night, I think, is better than having Jason Schmera in there for 8 to 10 minutes. So, I, I don't know. I, I, you know Carlisle loves, and, and Bob Murray to some extent too, loves their, their veteran leader guys. But I, I don't see the point of not having him in the lineup unless he is, like everybody has pointed out here in the chat, uh, nursing a nagging injury. Um, I don't think you understand how fast Jason Schmera is, Eddie. I feel like you didn't <laughs> listen to Bob Murray when he brought E and Kelly on board about the speed they're going to bring to the lineup. I mean, I don't know why you would see that Troy Terry, you know, his skill and speed combined would be better than Jason Chimera. I mean, that's just that's just my opinion. Well, too bad he wasn't at the All-Star game so we could have uh, clocked against Connor McDavid and seen, we could have really seen his, his speed shine uh, against one of the fastest players in the NHL. Or maybe the Ducks yeah. just, just need to host the All-Star game. You know, sign him for a contract specifically just to have him go out and have uh, your own uh, in-team all-star game set up and, and see who's the fastest skater. Just bring him back oh, yeah. for that. He doesn't even need to play. He can sit in the press box, enjoy <laughs> enjoy some popcorn, watch the game, and, and just wait until uh, until the Ducks have their fastest skater competition. I'm on board with that. If we're gonna if we're gonna bring Chimera back, we need to we need to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, so there's Troy Terry. Unfortunately, did not play again tonight for the second straight game. Um, let's talk a little bit about Gideon Fowler. Just yeah. because those are the big burning questions going into Wednesday night's game against Minnesota. The Ducks were without John Gibson for the second period, third period, and all of overtime. Ryan Miller stepped in. Is this deeply concerning to you, or by the looks of the play, Eddie, do you feel like it was something more of a, hey, we're going to take him out on precaution. We know he has a history of injury. We're going we're gonna to pat him up and uh, baby him a bit and rest him until Wednesday, or do you think like this is severe, just based on what you saw? Yeah, I mean, it didn't look like it, but we've seen Gibby leave on things that didn't look that severe. I mean, um, you know, the one that comes to my my mind the most is the Riley Smith play Vegas. where he clipped him from behind and he fell down, ended up leaving the game. Um, this one, I don't know. The only thing I, I could think of is maybe he was left out for concussion protocol because, uh, you know, Landis Cog does kind of hit him in the head, kind of get him a little bit of a, a cross-check shot to the head. So maybe that's why he's left out. Otherwise, I don't know why... You would leave him out, you know, for for precautionary reason in a game that means so much. Unless you you are worried, or it's a, it could be something he could aggravate more by playing. Then then I get it. But it's it's such a tough situation to take your number one goalie out of a close game, a game that means so much to the playoff standings. You know, the the only thing I can think of is it was just uh, precautionary reasons, maybe concussion protocol, something around that. That you know, unfortunately, that's what you would hope for. You obviously don't want him to have a concussion, but you hope he was left out for precautionary reasons and not for an actual injury. I think if it was for you know concussion protocol, we would have heard from um, from RC on that. Don't you think Carlisle would yeah. have mentioned 
that was the reason. That's what's concerning to me, is if it was the league saying that, that it would have to be expressed and they were going to hold him out. But um, I hope not. That's a huge blow. I mean, just the kind of season he's having, and we've been talking about him nonstop for the past two months, about how much he is needed on this team for this team to win going into these final few games and then into the playoffs. The Ducks really need to find you know, a way to win without him, if that's the case. And that's a lot to ask of Ryan Miller. That's not why he was brought on this team. Um, yeah. I guess to kind of finish up the goaltending question here, how do you feel about um, – about Ryan Miller leading this team the rest of the way into the playoffs and beyond if this is a serious injury for John Gibson you know he has the experience of course of, of just being a veteran goaltender and, and going to the playoffs before and going far in the playoffs uh, but at this point in his career I'm just and just the way John Gibson has been playing too and we've gone into the playoffs before with Freddie and Gibby and they've both been playing you know pretty good and you, you say oh well if one guy plays bad then at least this other guy can come in and they're at the same skill level and it doesn't matter I think with the way Gibby's playing this year, I just wouldn't be comfortable going in with Ryan Miller knowing what else you can have between the pipes and a healthy John Gibson. It would be so tough. I don't think the Ducks could go that far having Ryan Miller you know, starting on a regular basis. He, he hasn't done that during the regular season. It's a tough situation to throw a guy into and just say, hey, you know, you're going to start the rest of these three games. You're going you're gonna to lead us into the playoffs until this guy's ready to go. And I don't know. I mean, he, he's got the experience to do that. It's just such a tough decision at this point and, and such a tough role to play for a guy who hasn't played a lot this year. I mean, that would be very reminiscent of last year with the Pittsburgh Penguins, right? I mean, yeah. riding uh, Fleury all the way into the conference final, and then they're like, yeah, no, 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 Matt Murray's back. You're going to yeah. have to take a back seat. That's <laughs> just the way it's going to go. I mean, that's the way we would hope it would pan out. The Ducks end up winning a cup like that. Um, if, if it's going to be long term for John Gibson I just hope it's not his head I just hope it's precautionary hopefully we'll find out more tomorrow but moving back over to on the defensive side of things Cam Fowler injured on the his last shift of the third period on a hit in the corner that had separated shoulder written all over it for me um, yeah. just the way his the way his shoulder was bent going into the boards I hope it's not that's painful and that's not something he's going to come back from right away he's going to have to miss a little bit of time if that's the case so, how are your feelings on how this uh, defensive core stacks up? I mean, you got Superman Punch Bieksa out uh, with a hand surgery, but I mean, you know, obviously he will be coming back soon if the Ducks are in the playoffs. It feels like. Do you bring up another youngster? Do you unscratch Walensky? I mean, what's the answer here? Yeah, it, it kind of, in my opinion, paves the way for Jakob Larson. Although I don't think they do it because he hasn't played one minute for the Ducks this year and that's a tough situation to throw a guy into and just say hey you know you haven't played a one second in the NHL this year you're going to come up and you're going to play in the playoffs for us until Cam Fowler gets back so that would be my ideal call up I feel like he's the most skilled and probably the best defenseman the Ducks have in San Diego at this point uh if Fowler was out for a considerable amount of time he's the guy I'd want to call up unfortunately I think it's it's something where they either unscratch Holzer, Walensky, or call up Magna if they want the left shot guy and just throw them in. And they probably promote Pedersen up to that pairing with Brandon Montour, or maybe even just uh, throwing Boschman up to that pairing with Montour and throwing Pedersen no. with a guy like Walensky. No. I know, no, I know, but I could see it happening. Of course we hope he's not out and, and that he can come up and play. They, they have a couple games here where they're, they're now sitting in obviously a lot better position than they would be if they lost this game. 
Not saying you want to keep him out of the lineup. You, you obviously want to play. The Ducks aren't in by any means, but their, their chances went up a lot with this win. So maybe you rest him just to be sure for this next game and hope he can go for either the, the game against Dallas or the last game of the season against Arizona. But you don't know. I mean, the, the key thing is to have him 100% healthy for the playoffs because you don't want to have to go in uh, against a series with San Jose or Vegas or Nashville with a Boschman montour pairing as your number two. No, because he's been playing just great hockey right now. Fowler yeah. and Montour have been the pairing we've been waiting forever to see, and it's finally come together for the Ducks, and they've been able to solidify that top four. And now the Lindholm and Manson line is finally starting to play much better after a little slump. Um, just It's just something I didn't – I mean, I don't think anyone wanted to see, but it just I just cringed when I, I saw the hit, and then when they mentioned it on the broadcast, went to the locker room, I was like, oh, dude, that's, that's not good. <laughs> that's not something we need to see. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, like you said, he's he's better, and hopefully back Wednesday, if not Wednesday, he's back Friday. Um, that's honestly what I would hope. It just didn't look good, but uh, we'll definitely keep everybody updated via Twitter and other social media once we get an update there from the Ducks, obviously, if you guys don't hear from them first. But um, let's go ahead and talk about the good news. So Dallas was eliminated today, dude. Cheers yeah. to that as the Ducks play them this week. No Dallas in the playoffs. They were in one of my picks to make it into the into the uh, the playoffs for sure, and maybe cause some damage. But they get the early exit for slumping this month. Yeah, they or were right into in it. Yeah, they were right into it until March, and then they only won four games in March, and uh, they lost. I think it was. Let's see, they had sixteen games, so they went four and twelve in March. So that is that's, not good. Yeah, that's not how you get into the playoffs. The, their last three games are against San Jose, Anaheim, and LA. So it'd be nice if they could beat San Jose and LA. And then just take it easy on us because they play the Kings as their last game against the season. They're still a tough team to face, but uh, I don't know. I because I'm indifferent because I, I you know I picked them to get into the playoffs too. I thought they were going to be a better team, and really they were until they just had that horrible month and everything really caved in on them, uh, which is unfortunate because that you know up until that point Klingberg was a guy that was probably the favorite for the Norris. Uh, Sagan and Ben were, and Radulov were one of the better lines in the National Hockey League, and then all of a sudden it just—I I don't even know because Sagan still has forty goals, and Jamie Ben's still playing well. I think this—the rest of that team just disappeared. I mean, Jason Spezza has been a ghost all season, and I think their secondary scoring just dried up. And it's very hard to rely—you know, Jamie Ben and, and Tyler Sagan are very skilled players, but it's—it's it's hard to rely on just those two guys to get it done. No, it's true. So the interesting thing about them is the Ducks were the ones that eliminated them today by getting the win. Dallas is not going to be in the playoffs. Dallas just beat Minnesota last night 4-1, to one, who's the next team the Ducks are going to play on Wednesday. How do you feel about Minnesota right now? I mean, they're 4-3-3 three, and three in their last 10. They just lost Ryan Suter um, indefinitely. I heard broken fibula, yeah. which is a crazy thing to break. It, the, the hit didn't look that bad. So hopefully it's not terrible for him, and hopefully he recovers quickly because you don't want to want to see that kind of injury, whether it's on an opposing team or not. But uh, what are you looking at when you see Minnesota right now? Is this a really dangerous team, or is this something the Ducks could easily take advantage of? Um, I, I think they're a dangerous team, but it, it really clips them badly when Ryan Suter's out of the lineup. He's their minute eater. He's essentially like what Cam Fowler is for the Ducks. Probably plays about 27 to 28 minutes a night. Had 51 points, too in 78 games I didn't even know he was doing that well offensively that's a, a, almost a career year for him uh, if he was still being able to play obviously it looks like he's done for the foreseeable future he was one point away from a career high really having a great season it's tough for them 
I mean, it, it says right now, I don't know how this is possible, but on the on the Sportsnet app, it says he has a fractured fibula is considered day-to-day. So <laughs> uh, one of those things isn't right, but it's a huge loss for them. I, I think it makes it a little bit of e- an easier matchup for the Ducks. But this is this is still a tough team. We we talked about it a lot on the last show when we were previewing the games coming up. They've still got Eric Stahl, Mikhail Granlin, uh, Zucker, Niederreiter. They've got a lot of guys up front that can hurt you. But now you're going to have Spurgeon, Brodine, and Dumba carrying a lot of that weight that's left behind from Ryan Suter. No, I guess the the bright side to look at for Anaheim is that Minnesota seventeen nineteen and two on the road. Yeah. Ultra dangerous at home, 26-6-8. and eight. But they have a road record that's not favorable for them, and they're heading into Anaheim. And Anaheim's been killing it at home. I mean, they're 24-10-5 this season. So maybe a little home ice advantage, maybe having their top defenseman out of the lineup will secure Anaheim another two points and put them – I mean, with that clinch, I'm, I'm putting on the spot for math. I'm terrible at math. But uh, – I I believe that gets them right there, if not clinching them. If somebody in the chat is smarter than us and wants to chime in, uh, let us know. But I, I feel like this is an, an easier game than what we originally uh, expected from a, a game against Minnesota. Um, I feel like they're still, like they're going to win it out. Do you? Got Minnesota? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, you look at the guy, the teams that Minnesota has coming up. They got Edmonton, Anaheim, LA, San Jose. Um, it's going to be tough for them to win out. I think they're going to get in, but because they're sitting three points up on um, Colorado and, and four points up on, on St. Louis, so they're, they're pretty much in, um, barring a collapse. But th- those are some tough teams to face. I mean, you've got to face Anaheim, L.A., and San Jose, who are all fighting to get in, essentially. I mean, San Jose's got a pretty comfy cushion, but don't look now. The Ducks are only four points behind them with three games remaining. If San Jose doesn't play well, the Ducks could sneak up there and grab home ice. Um, so it's going to be a tough schedule for Minnesota. So, I mean, if the thing, the thing, oh, Jesus, the regular <laughs> season ended today, I don't know why it's a thing, um, the Ducks would be playing the San Jose Sharks. Is that something that uh, you'd be looking forward to? Are you still afraid of them as much as we were talking about last time? Yeah, I don't think so much changed. I mean, all of a sudden they've lost three games in a row, but they played St. Louis, Nashville, and Vegas, so... You know, you take that how you will. Those are three very good teams, and St. Louis was rolling at the time they beat the Sharks. But, um, you know, I, I'm still worried. I, I, but I, I still think it's probably the best matchup. I don't think the Ducks match up well with the speed that Vegas brings. I don't think they match up or anybody really matches up well against Nashville, who just added Eli Tolvin in if they didn't have enough talented forwards up front. So I, I would still... they beat Tampa? Yeah. The, easily, easily, without Pecorino in the lineup, too. Uh, Paul Campbell's boy, Juicy Sorrows, came out with uh, a strong performance tonight. So uh, they're just unbelievable. Uh, I don't want to face them at all. So I I feel like San Jose is probably the ideal option. Uh, I feel like a lot of things can go wrong for that team. You know, they they were playing so well. But the goaltending, I feel like, is always an issue for them because Martin Jones is is a good goaltender when he's on. But uh, he has a little bit of inconsistency where sometimes he just disappears. And that blue line, other than Brent Burns, is pretty suspect. Uh, you know, you've got Mark Edward Vlasic, who's a pretty steady guy, but then from there it kind of drops off. Uh, so I, I would still rather face them over, obviously, the two best teams in the Western Conference. How about our old boy, Wild Bill Carlson, with the between-the-legs breakaway shorthanded goal against the San Jose Sharks last night? Jeez. I was just blown away by that. The balls on that guy to do that. And then as you commented back to me, 
like didn't even care wasn't laughing about it on the bench wasn't joking about it like holy hell how did I pull that off that dude is just full of confidence in this league yeah and he goes back to the bench and he's just like nah, whatever I do this every day I mean this is a guy who scored six goals in 82 games last year he's up to 42 and that goal was was arguably goal of the year I mean it was just nasty in a, in a tied game against the San Jose Sharks and and you're pulling it out shorthanded. You're just pulling out the moves. I mean, the normal normal guy would go just to the backhand or, or try and fake him out, just try and take a shot. But I can't believe it, man. I, I had missed it originally, and I just saw Twitter exploding, like uh, about William Carlson. Like how how could he pull that off? How how could you have the balls to do that? And again, that's tied two two. Uh, I can't I can't believe it. I, I mean, nobody expected when the Ducks traded him or even when Columbus let him go that he was going to have this kind of season. It's just been unbelievable. I mean, he's sitting, what, three goals behind Alex Ovechkin for the, the Rocket Richard Trophy? Nobody thought that was coming. He totally read that poke check by Jones. Jones yeah. kind of choked up, and the second he saw the choke up, he's like, oh, i got to go I gotta go tweeners. Yeah. Plus, fucked to his own legs and flips. He didn't, he didn't even just, like, chip it. He roofed that yeah. <laughs> over Jones. <laughs> With authority, just a yeah. hell of a goal, man. Yeah. Um, that's enough about Vegas because that was like the only thing I loved about them this season. <laughs> but uh, just because they're so damn dangerous against Anaheim, let's get to our post game questions. Uh, where do you want to hit first? Um, I'll hit uh, we'll hit Twitter first because uh, I, I hate having to scroll through there to be honest. And then we'll hit the chat up because uh, there's been a lot of questions in the chat, so we're gonna have to do some scrolling after this because I think there's a questions leading all the way up to the the beginning couple seconds we had in the chat. So. We'll start with uh, Regis's question on uh, Twitter. Uh, it's uh, kind of a statement. I mean, we always have these. But he said, uh, Kessler hurt the team in the last two games by uh, by giveaways, is what he says here. He says, giving direct passes to the other team. Do you find his presence to be really important? Uh, because he seems that it's more disturbing than helping at this point. I mean, I guess you get the good with the bad. Um, yeah. He's definitely not had his best season. We all know he's coming back from major hip surgery. They had to move a bone fragment. He's had to learn how to walk and skate properly again. We've all known that story. I'm not trying to cut excuses on his play so much as you got to give him time to come back to himself. Um, he's been burned in some situations too. I mean, just based on skating ability right now. But as for you know those giveaways, I mean, when a guy is on the ice the majority of the time against the opposing team's top players, it yeah. just happens. I mean, if you look at the top giveaway guys in the NHL every single year, it's guys like Brent Burns. It's guys like P.K. Subban. It's guys with the puck. The guys who have the puck give it up a lot. It's just the way it goes because they also have the puck and, and are creating chances as well. Yeah, I feel like this is a bit harsh on Ryan Kessler because I don't think he's been that bad. I mean, this line has arguably been the duck, the Ducks' best line over the last two games. And, you know, he, he's saying the last two games here, so obviously we're referring to the L.A. game and this game tonight. I thought he's looked pretty good. Honestly, I, I thought he's been one of the, the better forwards for the Ducks and, and obviously shutting down uh, the, the top line in the Kings where he shut down Kopitar Brown and T- Tanner Pearson. This night he was tasked with shutting down Nathan McKinnon, and, and I feel like he did a good job. Uh, I didn't see too many giveaways that led to any chances. Obviously there was no giveaways uh, if I'm just remembering off the top of my head, that led to to any goals. So I, I can't say it's it's disturbing. I, I feel like he does have a presence on this team, and he is a really important part. No, I mean, and then he with he had the other team's top line withheld to only six shots time, five on five. Yeah. So good on him. And his line was extremely dominant tonight. I didn't see any problems in his game. 
But like I said, I understand. When you see the puck get turned over by a player, you're like, what the hell? Why would you do that? But like I just said, it just happens when your guys out there against the top competition, night in and night out, they're going to have games like that. But I, I agree with you. Overall, his game was pretty damn close to complete. He caps it off with a goal in this one, too, a much-needed goal that tied the game up. So I, I would have to feel like that uh, criticism against Kessler was a, a little much. But yeah. I understand where it's coming from. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, let's let's move into the chat here. We'll, we'll go back all the way to the beginning because Richard opened the chat with a question. So uh, uh, where the hell is Patrick's voice? I don't hear him. Is that the first one? <laughs> no, well, no, those were those came right after. But uh, he said, so how do we make the playoffs or get out of the first round if Gibson or Fowler is seriously hurt? Oh boy, yeah. um, it's a tough. That's one. a tough one. That's because we don't know who's going to be slotting in. For Fowler, it's a bit easier to comment about uh, Ryan Miller. Uh, he's capable, but he's not built to be planned at his age, um, night in or every other night or back-to-backs consistently in playoff-style hockey. Yeah. Sure, he could do it for a little bit, but I feel like eventually he would have to let up. Uh, he's just not John Gibson. I mean, there was a point in his career where he was, if not better than John Gibson, but just right now it's not why he's on this team. When it comes to, to Fowler, I don't know. That's a scary injury. It's, if, it, if it is, if it's long-term, that's scary. Because then you're going to be relying on, on another young guy coming up or you're going to put Bieksa in. And that's scary to me, too. Um, I feel like if they get the matchup against the Sharks, that uh, I, I, they think they can still beat the Sharks with Ryan Miller. I'm not so sure without um, without without Cam Fowler's skating ability and yeah. the way he's been playing with Brandon Montour. That's tough. I don't know if they get out of the first round without Cam Fowler. Yeah, honestly, that that's pretty much what I was going to say. Is that I think they can probably squeak through a matchup against San Jose without John Gibson. It'll, it's it make it extremely tough because of the way John Gibson has played. But I, I think if Ryan Miller can string together a couple strong games, I think with a fully healthy team other than him, they can get out. But uh, going any further than when you have to play Vegas, possibly in the next round, and then looking further, playing Winnipeg or Nashville, if Gibson's not back by then, uh, you're going to really feel the weight of his loss. But, but Cam Fowler, I think, is the most interesting one because he's the guy that eats so many minutes for the Ducks. You know, he's the guy who plays the most every night. You know, he, it, It's such a tough guy to fill. I mean, you're going to have Lindholm and Montour who pick up more minutes, and then it's, it really is who fills his spot, and, and nobody can really fill it better than he can. And you're going to have, what, Holzer, Walensky, Jakob Larson, if we're lucky, come up and fill that hole. I, I think it's just too much for the Ducks to overcome, especially both of them together. And it's not to say that they couldn't get out of the first round, but having those two guys out, and obviously we don't know at this point, but it would make it that much harder. I mean, look, you can hide a young player as a forward on your third or fourth line because you don't really like to play them three, four, five minutes. It's hard to hide and to replace a top-pairing defenseman or even a top-four-pairing defenseman. Cam Fowler missed all of overtime and still led the team in time on ice at 25 minutes and 40 seconds tonight. That's, That's tough. And, I mean, I have a lot of faith in Ryan Miller, so I know he can pull out the wins. It's, I'm not trying to slight San Jose. I know they're dangerous as hell. But missing both, I, I don't think they get out of the first round. No, I I, I don't want to be pessimistic, but I, I kind of have to agree with you at that point. I, I think it's just too big of a loss to have both of them out of the lineup. I think if you had one, you could probably get out of it. And, and uh, SBN brings it up in, in the chat. So he says, you can hide it until the Pavelski line gets on the ice. And they victimize whoever's out there with Brandon Montour, whether it's Boschman, Patterson, whoever. 
you know that uh, you, you could probably play the line shares minutes of, of Manson and Lindholm against that line, but you know San Jose would have likely have home ice advantage. A lot of times you're going to get that unfavorable matchup where Pavelski line with, with Kane and, and whoever else is on that line because they like to rotate it a bit. You're going to have that unfavorable matchup against one of the bottom two pairings, and, and you're not going to be able to prevent it. And I think that would just be too much to overcome in a seven-game series. Yeah, I mean, let's just put it in perspective. I know that Dowdy's better than Cam Fowler, but let's say the Kings don't have Drew Dowdy or Jonathan Quick. Yeah. What do you do? I mean, what, what, do you think they're going to get out of the first round if they make the playoffs? No. Most likely not going to happen. So yeah. you take away you know, two pivotal positions. That's just what's going to happen to any team. Uh, what have we got next? Uh, looking, I mean, we had a lot of just comments that we probably should have got to earlier on uh, for the different things that we were talking about in the chat. Uh, let's see. All right, so Chase brings up a question again. It's um, it's kind of just pretty much, uh, I, I guess this is exactly what we just answered. <laughs> he said, if, if Gibson is hurt for an extended period of time and the Ducks make the playoffs, do you think they have a chance to make it out of the first round? Literally, we just answered that. Uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, no, I, I, I don't think so. And like, Ryan Miller would have to stand on his head, like we just said. It, it would be very, very tough because of the way John Gibson has played so far. Uh, Connor says, this isn't a Ducks-related thing, but it, it kind of goes back to your comments about Taylor Hall. He said, the Devils could survive without Taylor Hall. The Avalanche would be where they were last season without Nathan McKinnon. I don't know how he sees that. I would like to know where his thinking <laughs> is on that. Interesting argument. Um, I, I find it hard to believe just because of the massive gap in points and what Taylor Hall has done for that team. I mean, he single, single-handedly won the game for them tonight with a shorthanded goal. Um if, if he's still on our chat and still listening, I'd love to hear a comment or maybe shoot us an email or hit us on Twitter with something because I, I would really love to have that discussion just because I, I love covering the NHL as a whole and those kinds of conversations intrigue me a bit. But uh, I don't know. I know that he likes McKinnon, obviously, like you. Do you think that's possible, though? I mean, do you think that's a bit of a stretch or do you feel like that's something that you could see as well? Uh, I think the Devils are in a better spot. Uh, if you if you had to take McKinnon out of out of Colorado and, and uh, Taylor Hall out of, the, out of New Jersey – I feel like the Devils fare a little bit better than the Avalanche do, but they're, they're not a playoff t- team without Taylor Hall. And I mean, you can say that for any team. I mean, you take any team's best player out, and it makes them that much worse, And even if you replace them with an average guy. But I feel like the uh, the, the Devils fare a little bit better, but uh, I don't think they're okay without Taylor Hall. I mean, you, you, those are the two front runners for the heart for the reason, in my opinion, because of how pivotal they've been towards their team's success. So... Yeah, I, I agree with it slightly in the fact that I think McKinnon probably means a little bit more to the Avalanche right now. But Taylor Hall's uh, like he's very close behind. How many points do you think Nico Heischer has? I, I would say forty-five or fifty at this point. How many points do you think Taylor Hall has? I think he just hit ninety the other day. He's got, according to, and I, maybe this doesn't count as goal tonight. I had to go double check, but according to um, New Jersey Devils site or NHL.com going to the Devils looking at their stats. Taylor Hall has 89 points, 37 goals, 52 assists. Nico Heischer's played five more games than Taylor Hall and has 51 points, and he's second in scoring. Just throwing that out there. He's he's dominant. <laughs> yeah, he's dominant. no, there's no question that that he's definitely dominant. I, I just think, uh, I don't want to get too much in on this, but I just think what Nathan McKinnon's done for the Avalanche, if he wasn't there, they'd be in a lot worse position than New Jersey would. I, th- I feel like they just have a little bit more depth in that lineup, and I, I just like the way they're built more than the Avalanche. 
But uh, Miko Rantanen has 82 points. <laughs> but I, I'm moving on because I don't want to get into this because when we talk, <laughs> we'll talk about this all night. <laughs> but uh, let, let's get back to some more ducks ducks related questions. So Connor coming up with a, a, a different question here related to the ducks. Uh, he said, "How many remaining games do the Ducks need to win to make it into that third Pacific seed?" So Damn it, we need to figure this out. Yeah, so currently <laughs> I have it open, so we're good. But currently they're actually in the third Pacific Division seed uh, spot right now. They're one point up on LA with the same amount of games played. So essentially, uh, they win the remaining games that they have, and they're in that spot. Uh, it, it's hard to really go any further than that because it all depends on how LA does and if they. So it, basically, if both teams won out then the Ducks would still have that spot because they're in it right now. Um, if they won two out of three games, they'd have a good chance of getting in. Uh, but then again, if L.A. wins out, then they move down. So it all really comes down to what L.A. does. But the Ducks are definitely sitting in a lot better spot getting that extra point tonight. Yeah, St. Louis, I guess they have they have a game in hand. They have an outside chance to get a wild card spot if the Ducks end up getting bumped down. But, uh, yeah, to get that division spot, they basically have to win out, and L.A.'s got to lose. Yeah. Um, so Dean asks, uh, would who would you say Kasha plays like? And he says here comparisons from players of yesteryear. Now I hate these because for one, it's very difficult for you to remember and compare players pa- past years. I'm just not good at it. I'm notorious for making very bad comparisons, but I just don't like comparing guys with players from the past. I feel like the game's really different. I, I'll still do it, but I want to get your opinion if you have a guy on the top of your head that uh, Kasha kind of compares to. Good lord! Um, I watched a lot of hockey in my life, man, and I, I'm terrible at that too. I mean, if I had to pick, I mean, does, there, does he have to be Ducks related, or could he be anybody? I think I think he means anybody. Just a, just a comparison of, of who, what, what what kind of player he he kind of resembles. Andre Kasha. Um, he's an energy that. guy, right? I mean, he's like I feel like he's it's energy, a question. But he's we got can, hands. Yeah, I, I feel like that's definitely one that we can dedicate like a slot to on the next show and just kind of go into it a little bit more because I, I feel like it warrants that. Uh, I would really like to look into that question and kind of see because right now, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm at the same point as you at. I don't really have a guy on the top of my head. I, and if you guys think of somebody, throw it in the chat and we'll, we'll bring it up. But I don't really have a guy on the top of my head that I think he really compares to. And, and that's not saying he's completely different from any other player. I just don't have a memory good enough to, to remember and compare players from probably even last year. So um, I, I think we should definitely dive into that at a different time. I could do that. All right, let's see. We're gonna, i got to scroll all the way back up here now. All right, so uh, Derek said, how many times did we get kicked out of the face-off circles tonight? Did we really commit that many face-off violations? I don't know. It's hard to listen to the broadcast because the broadcast is definitely going to favor the Ducks. I mean, they're paid. Yeah. To, to, to favor the Ducks, they're paid to be homers on everything. Um, I don't know. I mean, the players were obviously upset about it, so I'm sure maybe there was some delay. I mean, I know Hayward was going nuts about uh, Gibbons, the, the linesman, you know, holding onto the puck, and how the coaches were, you know, they, they, they don't like it when the referees make the game about them, let alone how dare a linesman make the game, put the spotlight on him. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I, I mean, he encroached, sure, but I mean, was the linesman like flinching or like, Ready? To, did he say something? Was there some sort of key where he's supposed to drop the puck? I have no idea. That's hard for uh, for me to judge. Yeah, yeah. I, I hate this rule. I honestly, I mean, 
I, I hate that they hesitate so often to drop the puck. It's become such an issue, and it's just it's honestly so annoying to watch. And I'm sure it's something they probably want to get out of the game because it slows it down a bit. But it's something they got to figure out because it, it, it's just it's annoying to watch, and you can see. I mean, Getzlaff was just pissed. It was three times in a row where they got kicked out of the draw. And I get there's different rules and regulations to follow when you're taking a face off, but it, it it's just so annoying to watch them have to reset the face off or not drop the puck, kick a guy out. It just it gets tedious at at times. Um, yeah. Hey, I, I got mean, a question for you on this one. What? I mean, I'll hop in over you real quick in our chat. Earl asked, or he says Kasha plays a lot like Andre Pallad on the Lightning. What do you think yeah. about that? Uh, I, I think so. Um, I haven't watched a ton of Andre Palat. I think the, the comparison is there because I believe they're both Czech. So there's a little bit of a, a link there. But yeah, I think so. Andre Palat has the hands. He's not necessarily a fully offensive guy like Andre Kashi. He's kind of that energy guy that plays on their second or third line, can provide offense, is good in his own zone. So I, I think so. I think that's a fair comparison. I I don't know if it's uh, like 100% on the head, but I think it's closer than we've gotten because we gave nothing. So I, <laughs> Yeah, we have no, no opinion. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I, I, think that's, I think that's a good comparison. But again, I, I definitely want to look into that more because I feel like there's some really good ones we can draw up and find some some really close comparisons to the type of player that he is. All right, what do we else we got in this chat? We have a few of them. Uh, Connor brought up the point earlier in the chat about the uh, the Kasha. I mentioned in the chat that we'd say bridge deal. Um, is that still what you're feeling like? Just to kind of wrap that still on. People keep bringing that up, and I understand why. Just it's interesting to see what's going to happen with him being an RFA. But do you think that's what, that's what's going to happen? Yeah, a lot of people are saying either bridge deal or a similar contract to Raquel got. I, I feel like that's the direction it's going. I think he's at, what, 19 goals now? So if he hits 20, that's obviously a huge boost for him and his contract discussions. But, yeah, I, I think so. I think a three-year deal, probably at something around $3 million, close to what Coglano's earning right now. Just just something like that. To you know, He's a third-line guy, maybe borderline second-line guy the way he's been playing. So I, I think he gets paid to that point. And then they also look for the upside potential for him to possibly get more. I mean, we talked about cautious potential on the last show, so I think uh, I think he gets that type of deal where he gets paid a little bit now for what he's done, but there's also room for him to get a bigger contract in the future. I agree. Um, moving on to another question in the chat from Earl. Uh, we can fire through this one quick because we are getting pretty late. He says, do you, do you guys like Perry on the third line or the first line more? Um, he played well on the third line tonight for the, the limited minutes he had with uh, with Henrique. I kind of like him on that top line still. I feel like you know Getzloff is going to give him the best opportunity to shoot the puck. And I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Perry doesn't have the moves of old, but he can still fire the puck with the best of them. I, I would like him on the top line still. Yeah, I think we keep him on the top line. It was a nice experiment to have him down on the third line, but I you know I don't know if that's going to work long term. We haven't really seen it that much where he's played with. I think he was with uh, Henrik and Kasher, right, when he was down on that third line. So it'd be an interesting experiment for maybe earlier in the season if they had to try that. I think this late, it's kind of risky to split them up based off like a small sample size, pretty much just the third period. So I'd keep them on the first line for now. But if things aren't working well, then maybe you put that line back together and see if you can kind of duplicate some of the success. Yeah, no, I could go with that. I mean, maybe tinker with it in the off season or you know training camp, see if Kashif can fit up on that line. But I think Perry's to stay on the top line unless something crazy happens. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, let's move down here in the uh, in the chat. Here, for, from Gordon Bombay asked a question. He said, the chances that the Sharks lose out and we win out. He said, they're only four points back right now, and we could take home ice from them. I mean, it's still a possibility. It's a slim possibility, but it's still up there. Yeah, no, it's there. I don't, I don't really – it doesn't really matter to me where they slot in. Yeah. As long as they're not playing Vegas and they're not playing Nashville, I'm okay with wherever they go. Yeah, I mean, well, San Jose has a tough schedule. I mean, they've already lost three, and they had arguably, I think when I had double-checked a couple days ago, they had the third-hardest schedule out of any team in the National Hockey League. Well, they've already lost to St. Louis, Nashville, and Vegas, and it doesn't get easier because they play Dallas, Colorado, and Minnesota. I mean, there's a chance. There's a chance that the Sharks lose all three, but that's the only way the Ducks get in. I mean, the Sharks have to lose all three. I believe San Jose's row is too high for tiebreaker. I don't think the Ducks can pass them. So the the Sharks would have to lose all three, and the Ducks would have to pick up points in each game, and have to. So they'd have to go two one and zero or, th- or win out. So there, there's a chance, but I feel like it's like a five percent chance that that happens. Uh, I really don't see San Jose losing all three, and I think it's difficult for the to say that the Ducks are going to win the next three games as well. Yeah, no, I'd have to go with you on that. But like I said, no Vegas, no Nashville. I'm okay. For sure. Uh... Errol put in the chat, good series if we play the Sharks. Vegas would be more fun, though. I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> I feel like Vegas would be would be extremely stressful, and, and I it'd be a tougher matchup because their speed, I think, would just wear down the Ducks. I honestly think the Sharks would probably be a more exciting matchup. I feel like they're both big physical teams kind of left over from what the West was back in the day, both kind of transitioning into that speed game, so it's a mix. And, and the rivalry is there. So I, I feel like that would be a more fun series. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think the Sharks series would be more fun? Or if they played Vegas, do you think it would be a, a more fun series to watch? <sighs> I would have to go San Jose just because the nastiness is going to be there. I would like to see it. I mean, you're going to get the nastiness uh, with any team that plays Anaheim. But I really feel like that game against the Sharks is going to be full of hatred. It's, you know, it's as close to as rivalry a game as you can get when you're talking about an L.A. team against Anaheim. The game against San Jose would be almost as bad. I mean, I, I think the Ducks might get run out of Vegas in the first round, especially with the injuries. They have a better chance, I feel like, against uh, San Jose. Yeah. Um, going back to the cash uh, comparisons, Matthew brings up in the chat saying he kind of seems a bit like Jonathan Drouin. Um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like Kasha is is a little bit more responsible in his own end and Jonathan Duran. I, I still don't know what to make of Duran because he was drafted so high at one point. It was such a hype prospect that all that went wrong in Tampa Bay and now being in a hockey central environment like Montreal, it's it's, it's very tough to compare anybody to Jonathan Duran right now. But um, I, I mean, I get it in the offensive ability, but I don't know if he is necessarily a like for like comparison. No, I, that's, that's a really tough one. I, you know, Jonathan Duran's a guy that I really was dying, and my friends got sick of me talking about it for sure, but I was dying to get him here in Anaheim for you know at the trade. Uh, was it before he went to, to Montreal? I was like, come on, Bob. Like, do something to bring this guy over. This guy's amazing. But uh, I feel like I don't watch enough Jonathan Duran hockey to see anything in his defensive game for me to knock on him. Yeah. But um, then again, that Habs team is awful. So say what you will about his game defensively. His offensive game is, is fire when he's on. He's only 23 years old, too. There's there's a lot more to come from him. Yeah, yeah, I think so. 
Um, let, let's wrap this up real quick. We got a couple more questions, and, and we're getting kind of late again, like we always do. So we've got uh, one more question here from the chat. That we've got one left from Twitter and one left from Reddit. So we'll, we'll end off with those. So Christopher coming in late in the chat, but hey, no worries. We, we thanks for coming out in general. Uh, he says gap control good again tonight. Is Randy Carroll actually doing a good job with the roster that he has? I mean, that top 4D sure looks good. I mean, I went yeah. over and looked at the the analytics side of things. I know that some people don't like talking about it, but Cam Fowler, Josh Manson, Hampus Lindholm, and Brandon Montour, there you have it. They were all 60-plus 60, uh, 60 or about. Campus and Manson were like 57, 54 in all situations. So they had relatively good games. Um, I mean, great games really at that point when you're talking about those percentages. I just, yeah, I, I don't know if it's so much Randy Carlisle as this Ducks defensive team, or defensive core, rather, is, is coming into their own and just playing lights-out hockey right now. I'm looking at these stats right now. Is it true that JT Brown only played two minutes tonight? In all situations, that's what I'm seeing, too. Wow. <laughs> so JT Brown played two minutes, Jason Chimera played 440, and Derek Grant played 650, which is uh, interesting, to say the least. Uh, I mean... <laughs> I I didn't I didn't think I saw them out there a lot, but I definitely thought I saw JT Brown out there for more than two minutes. But that that's insane. I, I mean I don't get that at all, other than the fact that you maybe want to roll the three lines that are playing well at this point. But it, it's definitely weird. I, I mean, well, Getzlaff played twenty four, Raquel played twenty, Kessler played twenty, Silverberg played twenty. So you really were relying on those top two lines, and to some extent playing uh, Kasha. Richie and Henrique more than they, they normally play, but that's insane. I don't think we've ever seen him play his fourth line that little in a game, at least this season. Well, JT Brown's not getting a fair shake, I yeah. feel like. He, he's been passed over quite a bit for Captain Canada, your boy, um, on that fourth line with Chris Kelly you know, being out. JT Brown's been in. And I just went to NHL.com and looked it up. Yeah, two minutes and nine seconds. I know we were looking at natural stat trick for our stats, but JT Brown not getting the minutes, man. I feel like he, if anybody on that fourth line should be getting more minutes, it should be JT Brown. But, of course, he isn't. Jason Tamara surprisingly only played 440. You would think Randy Carlo would play him a little bit more than that. And even Derek Grant only playing about six minutes. I think he probably some of that is some power play time as well or some penalty kill time because he usually gets in, in, in both of those situations at some point. So, interesting. Interesting to say the least to see if it kind of continues and that's the trend that they, they have going into these last few games. Just really relying hard on those top three lines. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what you got to do anyway. I mean, your fourth line just got to yeah. make sure they're capable of not screwing everything up for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's go to the last two questions here. Uh, the, the last one we had on Twitter was referring to the Ducks' jerseys for next season. So Sammy said he heard a rumor that the Ducks are changing their jerseys up next season, and he was asking if we know it's true or is it safe for him to get a cast of jersey right now? Oh, Man, it's tough to uh, – it's really tough to, yeah, to, I don't, to I don't buy know. a player's jersey with a name on the back unless they're like Solani. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Or I, I just – or like even John Gibson's not going to be moved off this team unless something drastic happens and he wants to go. I mean, I don't see a guy like Cam Fowler moving at this point either. So you're safe to get those guys, Gatsloff, yada, yada. But young guys – it's always hard for me to to, to come in and, and say I'm going to buy one of their jerseys because I've wanted to get a Lindholm jersey so bad, but I still feel like the Ducks are within any sort of uh, like they're they're within like the means to trade him still. If they need something. Like I just feel like they're they're still able to do that and they don't care. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think 
you know, getting a player, I feel like I would wait until cash it if you're going to go get a player until he signs his contract just to be sure that he's going to be with his team long term. I mean, I almost made the mistake of buying a Dustin Penner Stadium Series jersey, and then I just opted <laughs> I just opted to not get a name on the back, and uh, that obviously aged well than getting a, a Dustin Penner jersey. But, but yeah, I mean, I, actually, I haven't heard anything on the, them changing the jerseys uh, since the beginning of the season. Um, there was a lot of rumors with the Adidas jerseys that the Ducks were going to go with a new look, and obviously they just went with the same one, and that they would be looking to change it next year. The last I actually heard about it was at the beginning of the season, So I, I and I, they weren't really reliable rumors either. There was just kind of stuff that was getting drummed up on Twitter. So I don't know. I, I don't even know what direction they would go in. I mean, I, I've heard things to the extent that they were looking at changing the logo, and, and again, these are just rumors. They're not from reliable sources, so... I don't know. It would be interesting to see what they do. I, I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit of a shakeup in the jerseys. I have nothing against what they currently have, but uh, it would be nice to see a little bit of a shakeup and, and seeing what they can come up with. Do you have any? Do I have any what? Of the Ducks' current jersey? Yeah, I have um, Perry's uh, Perry away one, the white one. So. Oh, right on. Yeah, so, uh, so I, ha- I, mean, I I'm trying to make a point to get them. I have the third jersey too, the orange one, just to, to get that one out of the way as well. But, yeah, I, I mean... I like them, and I honestly like the white ones a lot, and I, I like just the, the color scheme and, and the way the, the logo looks a lot better now with just the decentralized, other than the, the Anaheim Ducks is what they had before. But, um, you know, I, I'd just be interested to see what they, where they could go. And, and I, I don't necessarily want them to change the color scheme per se, but a lot of people want to see them make some kind of nod to the Mighty Ducks and, or, or to the teal and the purple from back in the day. So... I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of avenues they could take to make something look interesting, but there's always the risk that it just looks awful. Yeah, <laughs> there's always that true. risk, that underlying risk where it could just look really, really bad. So uh, I'm, I'm skeptical on any changes and, and changing the current design. Yeah, no, I'd agree with you on there too. They got to make it perfect. <laughs> yeah, a couple. I mean, a couple people in, in the chat saying uh, to not going back to the the eggplant jersey. Uh, everybody's getting excited about the Orange Alliance thing, but it's just a marketing phrase for the season tickets. So a lot of people think that they're going to go with full orange jerseys next year. I can see that as a way they're going. I don't know. Uh, well, we'll see. I- I'll be interested to see where they go. The last question uh, <laughs> on Reddit, uh, we always get the weird ones on Reddit, it seems. Oh, this is what uh, we're talking about. Oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, Noma Gusta on Reddit. Uh, said that his wife was wondering if Cogs shaves or waxes. Uh, not referring to face <sighs> or anything. Uh, so I don't know where they're they're going with that one. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna assume it's like a full body sh- shave or wax or, or whatever. But um, I, I I don't know how to answer this one. <laughs> I don't know how to answer this, this just question. Let, you just opened up the biggest can of worms possible for us because now everybody knows we're gonna answer or, or just about. 99 out of every 100 questions that's directed to us like if no matter how weird or awkward (laughs) it is we're gonna end up talking about it um yeah i don't know that's not something i pay a lot of attention to uh if somebody who's listening does know and they want they would love to chime in and and, uh give us uh our thoughts there then or give us their thoughts there on this then we'd love to hear them but i think eddie and i are uh in the dark on that as we should be yeah i I don't know i I, i'm just interested i mean i'm gonna put this in the description tomorrow and just see how confused people get. Just right in the beginning, <laughs> I'll be like, Cogliano, does he shave or wax? We discuss. And just leave it at that. And then we'll wait. They're, they're, everybody's going to have to get to the entire the entire show until we get to this point. 
and just be completely disappointed that we literally didn't discuss it. <laughs> Gordon Bombay says, "Is Cogs a baby dolphin?" I have no idea. I I, I don't I don't wish to know to be honest with you. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I got to get to S- SEC uh, SPN's question because uh, when I had put out the question tweet on um, on Twitter, it was a gif of Jennifer Aniston, and he asked asked us. What are his, uh, our thoughts of him possibly having a chance of getting with Jennifer Aniston? <laughs> him or Cogliano? No, with with him, not with Cogliano. With uh, with him, with the guy himself, the guy who asked the question. Oh <laughs> man! I Again, know, we're, we're we're opening the can of worms where we'll literally answer every question you ask us on this show. So yeah, I'll let you take that <laughs> one away. I, I don't I don't know him personally. Maybe you do. I don't know. I don't know. Go for it. Send uh, send her a tweet, tweet her on Twitter or something. Find, yeah, find how a way many to... retweets will it take for me to get a date? With yeah, you? there you go. There you go. And your best friend, your your uh, that your seems most to work for most fan. people. Yeah, put put out the uh, <laughs> send her a DM. Say how many retweets uh, to go to prom or whatever. That that always works. I mean, it... <laughs> or, or Chipotle if you're if you're Kincaid. <laughs> yeah, I've I've seen that I've seen that work like four or five times on Twitter, which which is pretty good odds. I mean, considering you don't really know. I mean, he says that's not really an answer, but what are we supposed to say? I, I mean, I don't know. You're <laughs> sure <laughs> you, you have some. I okay, go for it. Go for it and let us know. Let us know on the next show how it goes. Yeah, put out the tweet. Get her, get in her DMs. Ask, uh, ask how many retweets for prom, and then we'll see. I think you have a good shot if you go that route. All right, man, let's close the book on the questions here before we go too far off the rails. That was funny. We appreciate everyone tuning in, everybody who comes in on the chat, makes it lively, makes it fun. You know where to find us. You can go to Spreaker and check us out when you're looking for any live content or you're looking for our past shows. Uh, Please go to our Twitter, subscribe to us, or turn on your alerts for us because Eddie's always tweeting out gifts throughout the game and game coverage. Plus, he's in charge of our Forever Mighty three-star leaderboard, which we just wrapped up uh, last game against the Kings. And there'll be a win. There was a winner, and the prize will be announced soon. We're just waiting to hear back on a couple of things there. But go to iTunes. I know I say it all the time, every show, but we would love for you guys to give us a five star rating, subscribe to us, and leave us a nice review. That helps us get the show more views, and when people search, it helps us more for popping up. And you know, we love you guys. We appreciate all the support. It's been a hell of a run so far. Fifteen shows in, and we'll be back at it again on Wednesday. We'll stay tuned on the time because I have. Uh, the opportunity to go to the game on Wednesday, and I'm also playing on Honda Center Ice after the game on Wednesday. Shame on you. Shame on you for <laughs> skipping still... the post-game show to have fun. No, we're still <laughs> doing a show. Definitely doing a show. But I don't want to keep Eddie up till 5 in the morning if I get back super <laughs> late. So maybe we'll do it first thing bright and early on Thursday morning, and everyone can download it or tune in if you want to tune in live on your way to work or on your way to school or whatever. But uh, we'll be doing it uh, no matter what, just the time. Stay tuned for that. But uh, other than that, we'll talk to you guys soon. Have a great night. Happy Easter.